Well, we continue our series this morning in the book of Proverbs. We took a pause for Mission Sunday last week, but we resume uh, in the book of Proverbs. So please turn uh, again to have your uh, fingers in the book of Proverbs. We're going to spend most of our time this morning using Proverbs chapter 3 as the base for the rest of what we're going to look at. So you can probably turn there. Hopefully you've all got the worksheets uh, or the handouts that were handed to you uh, with all the references that we're going to work through quite rapidly this morning again for you to be able to work through them slowly in your own time in the course of the week and uh, to really meditate on what God's Word says. But how many times in your life, or perhaps even in the last week, you've said, I just wish I knew what I was supposed to do in this or that situation? Or maybe you are a bit more spiritually minded, and so you said, I just wish I knew what God's will is in this or that situation. I just wish I knew what God wanted me to do regarding this or that decision that I need to make. So guidance or decision-making and the will of God, that's the next topic that we come to in our series in the book of Proverbs. And I need to say from the outset this morning that the Bible has a whole lot to teach us about this topic of guidance and I could never cover all of that this morning. We are going to be limiting ourselves particularly to the book of Proverbs. And as I hope to show you, Proverbs gives us a broad outline uh, of this topic of guidance as well as many pointed sayings and and commands and instructions to, to help us practically on this subject of guidance. But please remember that there is still much more uh, which is taught and illustrated and applied in the rest of God's word which we will not be able to get to today. And the approach that I'm taking to biblical guidance that I'm going to present to you today is largely drawn uh, from a book by the same title as the sermon, uh, which is Decision Making and the Will of God. It's by Gary Friesen. Uh, It's a comprehensive work on biblical guidance, about 400 pages. For those of you who are intimidated by 400 pages, it's been summarized. Uh, Gary Friesen's book has been summarized wonderfully and made popular by Kevin DeYoung's book on guidance, his excellent book called Just Do Something. Uh, I know many of you have read it, and I would highly recommend Just Do Something to every one of you uh, to study this topic more. But as we did last time when we considered Proverbs on on the topic of work, what I want to do this morning is I want to spend a few minutes uh, just laying down a brief theology of God's will uh, from Scripture, and then we're going to move on to debunk one popular myth uh, about guidance, and then we're going to consider what Proverbs has to say about the way of wisdom and how we are to make decisions according to the will of God. So in the first place today, I want us to consider a brief theology of God's will. And we need to start this morning to recognize that God's will in Scripture is spoken of in two distinct ways. The one way is the secret, sovereign will of God, whereby God in himself alone determines all things in creation and in the lives of human beings in order to accomplish his purposes. 
And then the other is the revealed moral will of God, which is his expressed will for us as human beings to know what to believe and how we are to act in obedience to God. Now, when we get God's secret will and his revealed will confused, we get ourselves into trouble. And I think this is the source of much confusion amongst Christians on this topic of guidance and finding out God's will for our lives. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, we read this well-known verse, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, so that we may do all the words of this law. So very early in God's word, we see that God has revealed much to us as his children. There are many things that he has shown us and taught us, but there are also many things which remain secret, things which God has not revealed to us. And our job, according to Deuteronomy 29, is not to try and figure out or speculate over that which is secret, which God has not revealed. No, our job is to be obedient to that which God has revealed in his word to us. So let me just quickly show you a couple verses that draw this distinction between God's secret sovereign will uh, and his revealed will. A couple of verses regarding God's secret sovereign will. We can start with Psalm 135 verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He is sovereign. He does whatever he purposes. Isaiah 46 verse 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Daniel chapter four, verse 34, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Bringing it a little bit closer to home, to our own lives, our own positions in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is God's secret sovereign will that accomplishes all things not least your and my salvation. We see this expressed by Paul in almost all of his New Testament letters as he opens each of his letters. The first one uh, gives us the example, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle, called by the sovereign secret will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sosthenes. So God's secret sovereign will is his all-powerful, unchangeable, perfect will to accomplish all that God pleases, all that he wills, both in the heavens and on the earth. Everything God purposes, everything God wills comes to pass just as he has willed it. 
And this will of God is secret, and you and I recognize it in hindsight as the perfect, secret, sovereign will of God unfolds in history. But secondly, there are many passages in Scripture which show us that God has a very specific, revealed, moral will for you and I as His people, for the way we are to live our lives. For example, Mark chapter 3, verse 35, Jesus says, Whoever does, sorry, let's move on. Um, Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. If you do God's will, this is not God's secret sovereign will. If you do God's revealed moral will, Jesus says, you are his brother and sister and mother. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what is the the good and acceptable and perfect will of God which you and I are to discern as Christians? Well, there are a couple of references, uh, general references. Let me show you those. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, He wants you to be holy. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. For this is the will of God, says Peter, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So we must be clear then that God's will for our lives is not meant to be mystical. It's not meant to be hard to figure out. He expects us to walk in his will every day. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You and I were saved, and in saving us, we are His workmanship, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God purposes that every single day you and I walk in specific good works that he has revealed and purposed for your and my life that we should walk in them. So scripture is clear then. We have a secret sovereign will of God, the details of which only God knows and according to which he works out all things for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. And then we have this revealed moral will which details the the spoken revelation of God clearly so that we as his people may walk in accordance with his rules and commands and statutes. Now this leads me on to my second point this morning which is then debunking the dot. What on earth is that about? Well, based on what we've just considered, we need to recognize that this realm of guidance or decision-making is limited to the revealed moral will of God. And we can picture this as a circle. That white circle is God's revealed moral will contained in the pages of Scripture. Every command Everything which God has has either commanded or permitted in Scripture is to be found within this revealed moral will of God. 
Anything which you and I do within the boundaries of this revealed moral will of God is acceptable to God. And God has given us wonderful freedom and personal responsibility to make daily choices, wise choices within this realm of moral freedom. Anything we do outside of this circle is then disobedience to God. It, it violates a clear command or a principle or a statute in God's word. And so right off the bat, any decision which leads you and I outside of the circle, outside of God's revealed moral will, can never ever be considered to be God's will for our lives. If we find ourselves outside of the circle, that invites the displeasure and the discipline of God. But unfortunately today, for many people in Christianity, they've added a third will of God, which they call his individual will. And what they mean by that is that in the middle of the circle of God's moral will, there is a dot. And that dot is God's perfect plan for your life, for every decision. And although his individual will is not revealed in the pages of Scripture, it's also not secret. Now, now follow this. It's not in Scripture, but it's not secret. And so your job is to figure it out. So, for example, if this has to do with a specific decision like who you should marry, well, the freedom you have within the, the circle of God's revealed moral will is that you can marry whoever you want as long as they love the Lord and serve him faithfully. You've been given complete freedom, but that's not enough. You need to figure out God's specific individual will for your life because if you get it wrong, man, well, you wouldn't have sinned, okay, granted, but you would have been locked into God's second best for the rest of your life because you missed the dot. And so we've got young people running around not getting married because they're looking for a dot when there are a whole bunch of godly other men and women right in front of them. So this view of guidance says that in, in order to find God's individual will for your life, you need to now, it's not in scripture, so you need to now engage in a whole bunch of spiritual guidance tactics or strategies. And they all made it onto the front cover of Kevin DeYoung's book, which is why I love the book so much. A liberating approach to finding God's will or how to make a decision without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, and writing in the sky. Now, various spiritual guidance experts will tell you that as long as three of those signs that Kevin DeYoung mentions there, as long as three of the signs align, you can be fairly certain that that's God's will for your life. But if five or more align, well, then you can know for certain that you have found God's individual will for your life. You found the dot, and you will experience God's special and abundant blessing for the rest of your life. The reality, however, is that when we come to the Bible, we find that discovering God's individual will 
is certainly not taught as normative for our daily decision-making as Christians. In actual fact, in Scripture, when we see certain individuals resorting to some of these tactics in order to know the, the mind of God, we find that it is actually a sign of spiritual weakness and doubting. It's a lack of trust in God and not something that we are to emulate. Now, the sad reality for those who, who hold to, to this dot is that it leads to two very different but equally damaging outcomes regarding guidance. The one is what's called analysis paralysis, where because the person is so scared of missing out on God's best, apparently, or so worried about being locked into God's plan B if they miss the dot, that they end up making no decision at all. Despite all the freedom that God has given them to choose many options of blessing, which all fall within his revealed moral will, yet because they could not line up the three or the five spiritual markers to find the dot, they end up making no decision at all, and therefore they do not do the good works that God has prepared in advance for them to do, and so in the end, no decision ends up resulting in disobedience. Disobedience by passivity, by doing nothing. The other damaging outcome of this approach to guidance is that often a whole bunch of these spiritual markers that Kevin DeYoung mentions literally stemming from a, an almost random set of arbitrary conditions. Lord, if that taxi turns in front of me, then I know it's your will. Lord, if the phone rings three times and then stops, I know it's your will. Random things that we kind of put before God as a confirmation that leads to a very poor and clearly unwise decision. But you can't say anything to the person because God told me, five markers aligned. He opened the doors and by the way, he gave me such peace in my heart. I'm not saying that God does not grant peace to his children when we need to make big decisions, but let's also remember what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17 verse nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So yes, peace in my heart at the end of a random process of impressions and, and goosebumps and Bible verses and open doors and writing in the sky does not equal a wise, godly decision. Let's just consider one passage in Scripture which debunks the dot. There are more in your notes that you can read for yourself. But let's look at, at a series of verses from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look at how God wants his people to live their lives and to make decisions. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So it starts with us loving God. And then what? And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God. 
and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? You shall say to your son, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Right from the beginning of God's written revelation to his people, we see the priority that is given to the revealed moral will of God as the normative way to make decisions as the way of guidance for God's people. And so in reading the scriptures and meditating on it and talking about it and teaching it and obeying it, God promises his people great blessing, security, provision, success to those who make decisions, who live their lives on the basis of the instruction and the principles of wisdom. So while I believe that it it is clear that God's word does not teach the dot. I have no doubt that God has a dot for you and me, but that's part of his secret sovereign will, and it will pan out as we live our lives in accordance to the wisdom principles. And while any decision made within the the broad uh, parameters of God's moral will would not be sinful, that doesn't mean that God leaves us to make any decision inside the circle arbitrarily. No, not all decisions would be equally beneficial. Not all decisions would be equally helpful to us and to others, and certainly not equal in terms of the glory of God. And so Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and, verse, and chapter 10. He says a number of times, quoting a saying that the Corinthians were throwing at him, all things are lawful. Yes, says Paul, but not all things are helpful. But all things are lawful. Yes, but not all things build up. But all things are lawful. Yes, but I will not be dominated by anything. So it's clear that within this realm of great freedom to make decisions, God desires that our decisions be made according to the principles of wisdom. Sometimes the guidance of wisdom is as simple as a single verse of Scripture which which removes all the other options from the table. But very often, wisdom is discerned by considering more broadly uh, the the truths and the principles of Scripture, weighing up potential benefits and consequences so that the path we choose will result in the best outcome for our spiritual good, for the broader benefit of God's people, and ultimately for God's glory. So this brings me then to our key text from the book of Proverbs for this morning, which I think not only debunks the dot as well, but lays out very practically the way of wisdom. And so we're going to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Proverbs 3, verse 1 to 7. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Who does not want length of days and fullness of life and peace? Well, 
Let your heart keep my commands. Verse three, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. This is very similar to Deuteronomy 6. And so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And here's our key text for this morning, verse five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So we're going to spend the rest of our time then this morning to consider five principles for wise decision-making taken uh, simply by working our way through the structure of verses 5 and 6 of Proverbs chapter 3. So please keep uh, Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6 open before you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And so the first principle for wise decision-making is faith. Faith, trust in the Lord. Verse 5a, no decision can ever be considered wise if it is not firstly deeply rooted in our trust in God. Paul actually says in Romans 14 verse 23, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In other words, anything we do which is not rooted in our faith in God or flowing out of our trust in God actually places that decision outside of the circle. It's, it's sin, says Paul, if it's not made with a deep trust in God. See how Solomon puts this in Proverbs 16, verse 20. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. But for us to trust in God, for our decisions to be rooted in our faith in Him, we need to know who it is that we are trusting, and Proverbs is, is eager to, to make that clear. We see this in Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Commit your work to the Lord. That word for the Lord there is the covenant-keeping name of God given to, to Israel. Commit your work to the covenant-keeping God of Israel and your plans will be established. So, so how do we practically grow then in wise decision-making? Well, it starts by growing in our faith in God. And, and how do we do that? How do you and I grow in our faith in God? Well, by giving attention to and applying His Word to our hearts. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 17 says, incline, have I lost that one? Okay, it's gone, but here it comes. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips. That your trust may be in the Lord, I have made them known to you today 
even to you. That's Proverbs 22. That your trust may be in the Lord, that your trust may grow in the Lord, I've given you my word. That's what God's saying. So that's the first principle, faith. The second principle for wise decision-making is devotion. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, verse 5b. We need to realize that all our decisions are ultimately made in the heart. It's, it's the heart which desires. It's the heart which wills us to action. And so we will only ever make wise decisions if we love God and trust him with all of our hearts. Proverbs 23, verse 26, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes obey my ways. You wanna know why you are living in disobedience, why you repetitively fall back into sin again and again? It's because you have not given God your heart. See what's most important to God? It's not simply mechanical, legalistic obedience. God is not impressed by modern behavioral modification therapies. He wants our hearts because all our decisions and our actions flow out from the heart. And so we see in these next few verses a topic which Shane dealt with at the beginning of the series. I know some of you struggled with that one on the fear of the Lord. But unless our hearts are overwhelmed by reverent awe and worship of God, our hearts will not choose wisely. And so Proverbs 3 verse 7 says, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It doesn't just say, turn away from evil. It says, fear the Lord. Have your heart caught up in devotion to God, and then turn away from evil. Proverbs 1, this is the opposite. This is those who do not fear the Lord, because they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way. In other words, they will live according to the fruit of their choices. They'll have their full of their own devices, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So our devotion to God flows out of the fear of the Lord, and it affects all of our lives because we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. Please turn with me in your Bibles to just one chapter back, if you're still in chapter three, to Proverbs chapter two. Proverbs two, verse one to 15, it's a longer portion, but it makes it clear as we read it how our devotion to God with all of our hearts and all of our lives, uh, sorry, affects all of our lives. Wise decision-making in every area of life is the fruit of a person whose whole heart is devoted to God. Let's read together Proverbs chapter two, verse one in your own Bibles. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, 
if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So you see God's word as we grow in our knowledge and love for and hunger for God's word, so it will lead us to the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. What does that have to do with guidance? Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. If you want to make the right choice every single time, it flows out of the fear of the Lord and the wisdom that he gives. For wisdom will come into your heart, verse 10, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. And then he goes on to describe their perverseness. There are a few more verses in your handout, which I'll leave for you to explore on your own. Let me just point you to one New Testament that verse that confirms this truth. It's only after we give all of our lives in devotion to God that we will have a mind that is ready to discern and obey the will of God. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's the devotion. Give all of yourself to God as a living sacrifice. This is holy and acceptable to God. It's your spiritual worship. Then guidance flows. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you, by, test, um, that you, by, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't expect God to guide you if you have not first offered your bodies as a living sacrifice of devotion to the Lord. Let's move on to the third principle, uh, which is that of instruction. Uh, verse 5c, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And I hope you can see how instructive the sequence is here. Because too often, especially as parents, we, we, we love to jump to instruction when we think about wisdom and decision-making. We, we want to know what this verse or that verse says, or if someone asks us for advice, uh, we, we jump to give them a biblical command. But our text says that we need to start with faith in God, then we need to move on to devotion to God, and then instruction can rightly have its place in our lives. We do not want to raise a bunch of little legalists as Christian parents, we want them to act appropriately out of a, a trust in and a love for God. So we need to go after the heart. And so the third point, however, reminds us that in order to make wise decisions, we need something outside of ourselves, outside of our own intellect and experience and logic, outside of our understanding. And that is the instruction of God's word, and I'm lumping together with that the counsel of God's people. Proverbs 3 verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. 4.13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let 
go, guard her, for she is your life. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Proverbs 6 verse 20, my son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. There's instruction. What must you do with all that instruction? Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you're awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So instruction is found through a diligent study of God's word, a listening to instruction as taught by our parents. But Proverbs is clear that often this instruction of God's word is gained through the wisdom of godly counselors. Proverbs 20 verse 18, plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance wage war. Don't just run into a battle. Get counsel first. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. And clearly, the, the context of, of Proverbs is that these are wise counselors, godly counselors, godly advisors, uh, who will counsel you according to the principles and the instruction of God's word. One of the great frustrations and sadnesses for me as a pastor, for us as a pastoral team, elders included, is people in our church who refuse to seek counsel. Or those who just cut themselves off from the means of grace that God has given to them in the church through wise counsel. And I say, if you're one of those people today who thinks that the Lone Ranger is a model for robust Christianity, listen to Proverbs 18, verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Usually, when I know that people are not asking for counsel from other Christians, it's because they are seeking after their own desires. They know that the counsel they're going to get is contrary to the desires of their hearts. And listen to Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So this leads quite nicely on to the next principle for wise decision-making, which is submission. In all your ways, acknowledge him this next phrase in Proverbs 3 verse 6 uh, is, is really calling for a heart of humility and submission, not only to the instruction of God's word, uh, but also more deeply rooted in our submission to God's greater purposes in our lives. It says, in all your ways acknowledge him. This is recognizing that God is God. I'm not Praying for guidance is not about getting God to bless my predetermined plans. No, praying for guidance is about me submitting my heart and my will to God and his purposes for my life because he is my savior and my Lord. Proverbs 11, two and three. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble there is wisdom. In other words, the proud man 
who does not acknowledge God, who does not humble himself under God's instruction, he comes to ruin. But the humble is the one who receives wisdom. This next proverb coming up um, connects both this, this idea of submission and previous one of devotion to the practical outworking of guidance. Look at Proverbs 22 verse four. For the reward, the reward for humility, there's this submission, and the fear of the Lord, there's devotion. What's the reward for humility and devotion? It's riches and honor and life. That's God's way. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. If you don't ask anyone for advice, you're gonna think your plans are the greatest plans on the planet. But the Lord weighs the spirit. So commit, and I would put the other word, submit. Commit your work to the Lord. Submit your work to the Lord. And then your plans will be established. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Notice again, as we saw with all of your heart, here we are again commanded to commit all of our ways in submission to the Lord. We don't keep some parts to ourselves. Lord, you can have career, I'm gonna keep wife. Lord, you can have this matter and I'm gonna keep that matter. No, all of our ways are to be submitted. It's all encompassing. Proverbs 8, verse 34. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. This is kind of perpetual, it's, it's an all day thing. It's a constant looking out for God's wisdom, submitting everything to him. Proverbs 23, 17. Uh, Let not your heart envy sinners but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. The fear of the Lord is not just a Sunday thing. It's a devotion to God all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Now this next proverb is a grave warning of hypocrisy to us in this area. It doesn't matter how spiritual you claim to be. It doesn't matter how much you say that you are praying about guidance or about this or that thing. If the evidence of your life reveals that you're not submitting to God in the simple things. Proverbs 28 verse 9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, and by implication, if you are disobedient to the law of God, even your prayer is an abomination. In other words, if you are living in disobedience to the clearly revealed will of God in your life, then your prayers will not just go unheard. They are actually an abomination to God. So lastly on this point is the reality that submission to God is often most clearly seen in the way that we respond then to biblical discipline. And by that, I mean the discipline of God directly on our lives, but also his discipline through the biblical correction and reproof that happens in the context of the church. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves whom he, he, him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof, to correction, he gains intelligence. 
Finally then, and I will be brief here, uh, in the fifth place, I want us to see that wise decision-making always leads to obedience. And he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and what will happen? And he will make straight your paths. Now this verse was originally translated into the King James Version as he will direct your paths. Probably more like he shall directeth your patheth. Um, but basically that's what it said. He will direct your paths. And I think that led in part to people thinking about the dot, believing about the dot. God has to direct every decision, uh, and so I've got to wait for him to tell me. But firstly, the word path here does not refer to a detailed individual plan for your life. It's, it's the, the well-trodden road. It's not whether or not you should take this job or that job or who you should marry or should you semigrate to the Cape or not. No, it's speaking here about a well-trodden road. It's referring to the general course of one's life. That's the word path. And then the word direct here has got nothing to do with helping you make individual decisions. It actually means to make smooth or straight or successful. So verse six actually says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make the general course of your life successful. Now that is a far more liberating and powerful promise. If we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, we look to his word and his people for instruction and counsel, we submit ourselves to his word's purposes for us and, and his bigger plans for our lives, he will make the general course of our lives successful. Can I ask you, what more do you need than that? And consistent throughout scripture, success, this walking on a straight path is synonymous with obedience. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands. Chapter six, verse 20, keep your father's commandments. Obey them. They're there. They're simple. Just do it. Proverbs 7, my son, keep my words. Treasure up my commands. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching. Obey it as the apple of your eye. Whoever keeps the commandment keeps his life. He who despises his ways will die. So can I close by just reminding you that the wisest, most important decision you will ever make is to trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. It is only after this ultimately wise decision that each one of us can make that all other wise decisions will flow. You see, no matter how hard you try to do the things on the list before you, to know a blessed and successful life, to, to know guidance and, and, and God's blessing, it's, it's all meaningless apart from Jesus. Proverbs is clear on that. But with Jesus and, and in Jesus, everything we've considered today is not only possible, but it's God's reality for your and my life. And so as we leave here today, as we go out, I trust to desire to live a life of wisdom, a life of wise choices and wise decision-making. Let's leave with Hebrews chapter 12, verse one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, all those things outside of the circle, let's get rid of them, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's leave and walk closely uh, with Jesus. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for your word. Uh, We thank you that you have not left us in this world in darkness, left us to figure out our way, not only to you, but how to live our lives. You've revealed not only the way of salvation, but you've revealed to us the way of wisdom, the way of wisdom so clearly taught in the truths and the principles and the commands and the instruction of Scripture. And so we pray, Lord God, that as your people here at Honeyridge, we would grow in our trust in you, our love for you, our devotion to you, our surrender to you, that we would grow in our knowledge of your word and its principles, that we would listen to godly counsel, and that you would help us to walk faithfully in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes. Amen.